I truly believed in our vision. I truly believed that being a fee-based advisor and not having the capabilities of marking up bonds was the way to go. And uh, the persistence and dedication really paid off. Now, let me tell you, it was very difficult the first 10 years with me and my family, but it, it again really paid off. Thank you to everyone joining us today for the premiere episode of In Your Best Interest, the ALM First podcast. My name is Mike Ensweiler, and I will be your podcast host. I am a principal at ALM First and oversee our business development, marketing, client relations functions, as well as our educational offerings. Someone recently asked me, why start a podcast? Well, the simple answer is that it stems from our clients. We share a lot of information through a variety of educational offerings, including webinars, research pieces, conferences, speaking engagements, and so forth. With so many people working from home these days, distracted throughout the day, and looking for meaningful information and insight, this is another channel for us to deliver timely and relevant content in a more relaxed fashion and have a little fun along the way. So what better way to kick everything off than with the person who started it all for ALM first, our CEO, Emily Hollis. Prior to ALM First, Ms. Hollis was Vice President for Kidder Peabody Asset Management, Chief Investment Officer for a large wholesale financial institution, and an investment trader for a New York Stock Exchange traded company. Since ALM First was established in 1995, under her leadership, the company has steadily grown to a client base of more than 300 financial institutions, which represent more than $680 billion in assets. I'm very excited for us to talk with Emily about the lessons she's learned throughout her journey this far and the successful 25-year history of the firm. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. Really excited to have you on our first podcast. You know, we've gotten to know each other pretty well, and I know that you don't always have or didn't always have ambitions about starting an RIA. In fact, many people don't know that very early on in your career, you were extremely successful in an entirely different industry, which was also featured several times in the CFA magazine. I know you don't like to talk about it much, but it is so impressive to me how someone can be so talented both left brain and right brain. Before we really dig in, would you be willing to share a little bit of your path that led you to graduate school? Thank you, Mike. Uh, yes, I was an extremely talented child. I was sent to New York um, at a very early age because I had uh, great talent in both piano and ballet. I was offered a scholarship actually to the Juilliard Arts Academy in New York City of which I turned down because I was also offered a professional position in a ballet company. And um, so I did that for four years and realized that it wasn't really my passion, uh, touring and constantly hurting. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I um, fast forward and I had a fantastic opportunity at SMU. They offered me a full ride, a scholarship, to get a dual master's, an MBA and an MA, 
and um, because I had really high scores on the math section of the GMAT and because of my arts background. And I took it. And as I was studying for the dual masters, I realized there's no way I'm going to use the art side uh, of the degree, the MA degree, because I absolutely loved my math classes. I loved the finance courses, my real estate finance, and it got me really excited. So um, that's how I ended up in MBA school and finishing off in the finance area. Is that what really got you interested in finance? Yes, it did. And couple that with my father, he he was in the stock market every day. And, and in the old days, without computers, I used to watch him, um, you know, uh, chart his stocks at the end of the day. And so I knew I wanted to go into investments. And so is, is that what prompted you to start ALM first? Not really. Um, I, I, went into uh, a couple of positions where I was on the buy side. Uh, a big company here in Dallas, it was called USA. It was it was taken over by Computer Associates. And I was in the treasury area where we did um, foreign currency options and um, a big fixed income portfolio. And I loved it. And then I had an opportunity to go to Kidder Peabody Asset Management. It was the asset management division of Kidder Peabody. And I thought that would be my absolute dream job because it was supposed to be in the mutual fund management area. But lo and behold, nine months into it, uh, Joe Jett, uh, the rogue trader from Kidder, brought the whole company down with yeah. the $310 million yeah. loss. And we had... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Manley and I had uh, contracts. We had uh, positions offered to us from Mitchell Hutchins, which is the Payne Weber division, the asset management division of Payne Weber. And if we were to be fired without cause, we would be paid out. And at the time, we were seeing all these brokers selling credit unions who were very, very unsophisticated at the time. All these CMOs, remember the days of the CFOs in the you know mid-1990s yep. of the support tranches mm -hmm. and marking them up like crazy? So we thought we're going to start our own company where it's fee-based asset management and um, save the credit unions from these rogue brokers. And we just had to be fired by Kidder Peabody, which we were without cause, got the money and started ALM first. So how did you come up with the name ALM First? Great question. We started off the company with the name Strategic Advisors, and we're not getting much business. So we thought when we were building the investment strategies that we really need to know, uh, we really needed to know what was inherent in the balance sheet of the organizations that we were putting an investment strategy together for. So we were doing ALM reports. So it dawned on us that, that uh, to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace was to have the name ALM First Investment Advisors. So we, we, we then changed our name and um, promoted um, what we were doing with the philosophy of doing ALM First and then building an investment strategy. In subsequent years, we changed our name again to ALM First Financial Advisors as we, um, as we developed more um, financial type of businesses. Yeah, it seems like it's evolved over time from more than investment advisory to full balance sheet consulting. 
And it seems like having that framework, understanding the interest rate risk position, where the risks are in the balance sheet, makes a whole lot more sense than trying to do that in a vacuum, so to speak. Absolutely. And we evolved because of our clients um, and their needs. It, it's, been, it's been awesome to watch. So currently, ALM First works with credit unions, banks, non-depository mortgage originators, um, soon to be some insurance companies, um, but we're known primarily for working with credit unions. How, how did ALM First or how did you get started with credit unions? Great question. Uh, I, I forgot to mention this because um, starting off in, in several jobs is probably too lengthy, but in between Computer Associates and Kidder, I had a brief uh, stay at uh, Southwest Corporate where I was the chief investment officer and met people in the credit and industry. And one person that I have to give huge recognition is Jane Sansoni, the CEO of eScore. Uh, she actually helped fund the company uh, when we started it. And she greatly believed in the idea of an advisory company at ALM First, and she helped uh, sell our first few clients. So I really have to give her so much thanks. Uh, but that really, helped us get into the credit union industry in the beginning. All right, we just talked about how you got started in credit unions. How has the firm diversified from credit unions? Basically, clients left the credit union industry. They saw value in what we did and they took us with them. Most of our business in the early years came from clients moving from institution to another and of course, by word of mouth. Our core competencies are, are very scalable to all depositories. And as we look on the rising, our ability to grow and add even greater value will come from having a larger client base. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned throughout your professional journey this far? Probably the, the most important lesson I learned was persistence. We almost went bankrupt a couple of times, as you can imagine. Early on, right? Early on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely early on. Uh, but I truly believed in our vision. I truly believed that being a fee-based advisor and not having the capabilities of marking up bonds was the way to go. And uh, the persistence and dedication really paid off. Now, let me tell you, it was very difficult the first 10 years with me and my family, but it, it again, really paid off. Other things is um, listening to your employees. You can learn so much by being open-minded. I, I realized early that I had to gain trust in my employees so that they uh, would see the vision that I did to know that this is going to work. We're yeah. really going to make this work. Um, finding the smartest people you can uh, surrounding you, that, that, that I think is a great lesson. Another one that somebody told me was, and I, I, I remember talking to this gentleman because I was scared all the time. And he said, that's good. Be scared, even be frantic, but never, ever show it. And I, I think that that's what I did, especially early on. Yeah, there's a saying that complacency kills and, and having that edge, having that little bit of fear is a great motivator. That's correct. It's an <laughs> awesome motivator. So why do you think having an unbiased strategic partner like ALM First is so important for depository institutions? 
A fee-based advisor is, is just a different model. And of, of course, I believe it is beneficial um, because it, it's exactly what the vision was uh, because we are unbiased. Uh, brokers, they have a purpose, uh, but their incentive is to buy and sell bonds. But if they don't, they don't make any money. Our purpose as a fee-based advisor is to be held to a much higher standard as a fiduciary. Uh, we're SEC um, registered, we're SEC um, examined, they are examiners, and it is a higher standard. Um, so it's definitely beneficial to work with us because of our expertise in investment management. And now that we have $30 billion under management, it, it, it even is more beneficial because of execution alone. Yeah, smaller credit unions or smaller institution portfolios are able to benefit by having larger volumes, larger trades that a 30 plus billion dollar asset manager brings to the table. Absolutely. So looking back on your journey, is there anything you'd change or do differently? That's a hard question. Um, generally, no, but there were a couple of things in ALM First where I wish I would have failed a little bit quicker. It's tough. Uh, you know, you've been extremely successful and you always have a can-do attitude. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get it done. So that's uh, that's great advice. Fail quickly and don't, you know, spend more resources, time and energy than you need to if you know that it's not going to be successful. You're absolutely right. And entrepreneurs tend to have that drive. We're going to make this work. Right. And, and uh, that was a hard lesson to learn. But I think um, now it's so much easier. Yeah. So what other advice do you have for entrepreneurs or aspiring leaders who are just starting out in their careers? You have to be the hardest working person in your organization. I think that's where I see some young entrepreneurs just failing. They want to get wealthy quick and they have unrealistic goals and timelines. And it just takes a lot of work. You have to be prepared to give up so much in your life. Uh, if you truly want to be successful and always know that you need to practice the behavior that you want your employees to have. So that would be my advice. Leading by example. Exactly. Yeah. So you've been featured in a number of women in banking conferences and publications in recent years. Would you share some of your experience and the message that you're telling up and coming professional women? Things have changed dramatically since I started my career, thank God. <laughs> but we still have a, a long way to go. Uh, women as a group, I would say, keep fighting. Fight for equal pay and support and, and mentor other women um, that reports to you or, or that you see coming up in the organization. I think that's really important. So, Emily, you're an inspiration to so many people. What inspires you? It inspires me to lead people and watch them become better as a result. That, that is so exciting. Um, the excitement of my staff, it's contagious at times. And of course, being creative. Well, to this point, Emily, we've been talking about the past. Can you share a little bit about what the future holds for ALM First and the direction we're heading? Absolutely. It's very exciting. <laughs> In the last few years, we've developed a couple of um, great products, uh, the Loan Transaction Network, the Mortgage Pipeline Hedging, Capital Stress Testing, and a Merger Valuation and Complete Merger Team. Specifically on the Loan Transaction Network, what we found was that it was right in our wheelhouse because we were seeing and modeling all these loans 
from our client financial institutions. And then we had other institutions that wanted to incorporate these loans into their balance sheets. It was a natural for us to um, be in that business of introducing one to the other and circumventing the higher uh, broker commissions that were in the industry. So right in our wheelhouse and our vision. So bringing some price transparency to that whole transaction. Absolutely. Um, Same with the mortgage pipeline hedging. Uh, We do what's called shorting the TBA MBSs by using a uh, more economically efficient uh, hedging vehicle of which to hedge. And then our financial institutions can keep the funded uh, locked loans on their balance sheet and earn additional income, which is fantastic in that product. And one of the things that we bring to the table, I think, is, is the strategy around the pipeline hedging. In addition to the mechanics of, of hedging that pipeline, it's the strategy for depositories where if they have capacity on their balance sheet to portfolio these things or warehouse them for a period of time, they're able to clip the coupon and thereby generate additional profits than just perhaps you know doing mandatory or uh, best effort commitments with the agencies. Absolutely, it's, it's a very exciting, it's a very exciting uh, product. Uh, Capital stress test is becoming very popular because of the COVID-19 issues, Um, a lot of stress testing. Um, The NEV reports only take care of interest rate risk. So the capital stress test, uh, we do the DFAS, the Dodd-Frank Act stress test for those credits in the financial institutions that are over $10 But we're starting to do capital stress tests that incorporate credit stress components and uh, macroeconomic factors to um, stress the capital. So those are becoming really popular. Yeah, especially with institutions under $10 billion, right? As they start approaching that threshold, um, just getting an idea of what this might look like, as well as just capital planning in general. It seems like credit, is, especially in this environment, has become much more front and center than maybe it was a few years ago. Absolutely. And, and of course, the last uh, broader product that we brought in um, just last year to finish it off. We've always done mergers valuations, or I should always, we've done them for about 10 years. But but we have now got a full merger group where they um, go and look for um, uh, institutions to be acquired and and do the whole process from start to finish. And, and we still do the back end with all the accounting reports. So it's very, very exciting to see our entire merger group now that's been developed. Yeah, a turnkey product, so to speak. It, you know, this is one of the exciting things for me is that rather than, you know, it's another case where clients came to us and said, hey, can you help me find a partner even on the acquire or acquired side? Um, but rather than just try to start it ourselves and not have it the best in breed type product. The exciting thing for me and hopefully for our clients too, is that we were able to find uh, David Ritter, who's been extremely successful in this area and bring him in so that we can start day one, so to speak, with someone who's tried, true, and very good at what he does. Exactly. And this leads back to one of the earlier questions of what do you say to young entrepreneurs is you listen to your clients. I mean, these have all been born from client needs and things that we can really help them. So we listen to our employees, we listen to our clients, and we grow from that. 
So I know it's it hasn't been that long, but we are running out of time. So are there any closing thoughts that you want to leave people with, Emily? Well, we have built a fantastic company. We have incredible people, great systems. But at the end of the day, the firm is predicated on service and building lasting relationships. Uh, trust is such a big factor here, and it will always be front and center. Thank you so much, Emily, for taking time out of your busy day. This was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you again, Emily, for joining us today. Your energy, drive, and passion are contagious. To learn more about our upcoming podcasts or any of the ALM First educational offerings, please visit our website at www.almfirst.com. If you have questions, the easiest way to contact us is at podcast at As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest, an ALM First podcast. The content in this podcast is provided for informational purposes and should not be relied upon as recommendations or financial planning advice. We encourage you to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals regarding all investment decisions. Current and future holdings are subject to risk. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Podcasts should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The views and opinions expressed by the ALU First financial advisor speakers are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions, and ALM First Financial Advisors disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, because investment decisions are based on numerous factors may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any ALM First Financial Advisors product. Neither ALM First Financial Advisors nor the speaker can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. ALM First Financial Advisors is an SEC-registered investment advisor with a fiduciary duty that requires it to act in the best interests of clients and to place the interests of clients before its own. However, registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training.